Well, good morning, everyone. Let me just start by responding to Dub. The kids slept all the way through the night, all the way through the night. So I'm feeling smug <laughs> this morning. And uh, I've definitely observed there's two types of campers on this site. There's the smug, and then there's the zombies. <laughs> and you've all seen the zombies walking along like this. You can turn to the person next to you and decide which of the two categories they fit into. The smug tend to be in caravans. The smug tend to be in, ca in caravans or sitting on the front row. That's what I've come to realize. OK, let's crack on. The decision that Daniel made in the opening moments of his time in Babylon was a decision fraught with destiny. It was a decision to enthrone his God in his heart. It was a decision to be a worshiper first. And so the first evidence of the kingdom of God advancing into Babylon with Daniel was not some inexplicable supernatural event. It was actually something only witnessed by the Spirit of God, which was Daniel decided in an environment of incredible um, hostility and temptation, he was going to worship his God. His God was going to remain his greatest treasure. So having established that God is on the throne, having established that he has sent me into Babylon, I am not only confident that things aren't falling apart, but I discover I must be here for a purpose and for a reason. I am his ambassador in Babylon. So if Christ is my king, I am his ambassador. If Christ is my savior, I'm his witness. Do you call Christ your savior here today? He calls you his witness. Do you call Christ your king here today? He calls you his ambassador. He has purposes for you and I. He has a great mission that he sent us on. As I was thinking about Daniel, I was thinking, actually, you could make a case that he's on an apostolic adventure in Babylon. You could make a case that he's been sent. The apostolic ones are the sent ones. That, that doesn't just mean one or two apostles. That means all of us, as we've been hearing, we have been sent. Daniel was sent into Babylon. He decided, God is my king. He's on the throne of my heart. I am a kingdom person, therefore I'm on a mission. Kingdom people are missional people. And so we'll see today that if he's on the throne of my heart, then obedience to him is going to enthrone him in my world. This is going to be the emphasis this morning. Okay, so let's just pick up then in verse 8. And the very first word that we heard read out is the word, therefore. Now, because you're all good Pauline scholars, you know that whenever you see the word, therefore, you've got to ask, what's it? Brilliant, that was impressive. <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised. What's it there for? Well, it's there for 
because he's only just said, I've resolved not to defile myself. That's a, that's a decision of faith. That's an encounter with the power of God. I've got faith here in the deep inner places of Daniel, faith to remain purely focused on serving and worshiping his God, faith must lead to action. Faith must lead to obedience. Kingdom faith must have kingdom therefores. Therefore. And Daniel's therefore was to go and speak to Ashpenaz and to, with respect, request not to be defiled or to be estranged. This was big, bold, and ballsy. He was risking his life with this request. Ashpenaz says, I might lose my head. How much more so might Daniel lose his head for saying, I don't want to sit and eat in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm happy to be his subject, but I won't be his son. I need to make sure that the Father of heaven, I'm his son. I'm not going to allow myself to be estranged from him. That was his therefore moment. Therefore, I must go and speak to Ashpenaz. I've got faith in my king. I'm going to be obedient to my king. Therefore, I must act on this faith. The reality is that in an event like this, in a conference like this, where there are thousands of us, my hope is that there will be hundreds of people who over these days would recognize moments of encounter and faith where you know God has spoken to you, he's called you, he's laid something on your heart. I know some have committed to following Christ for the first time since being here. I'm hearing reports, even in our church, amazing reports, people responding in faith for the first time. That's amazing, by the way. People are going to be called to go, to, to join church plants, maybe. Let me just say, there's an amazing church plant starting in Fairham, big town on the south coast, led by a wonderful couple called Duncan and Rachel. Why not pray about joining those guys? But the question is, if you've had this encounter, if God's spoken to you, what's your therefore? One of my biggest frustrations as a pastor, if I'm being brutally honest, coming back from a conference like this, is people will go, it was just amazing. God spoke to me and I encountered his presence Life is never going to be the same. And then a week later, no change. So if you find yourself in a conversation with someone and they say to you, really met with God, powerful moment, powerful encounter with him at West Point, I want to charge all of you here to ask them this question. What's your kingdom there for? What does obedience look like for you? For some of you, it's baptism. You know, the first test of obedience isn't doing away with all your habits, isn't reading your Bible necessarily every morning, though all those things are good. The first test is believe and be baptized. For some of you, it's a, it's a moment to get baptized. Is your faithful, obedient response to what God has done in your heart. And I'd encourage you to be asking that question. What is your kingdom there for? Daniel could have stopped because fear could have got in his way. It's unlikely 
for the majority of us that our kingdom, therefore, might be a risk to our own lives. I know some of us are coming from situations where that is a real possibility. I was just having a conversation just beforehand with somebody who's in just that type of an environment and country. Being faithful to Christ doesn't mean risking my life in that type of an environment. What is your therefore? Do not allow fear to hold you back. Friends, we have not received the spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. Sons, daughters of our Father in heaven. Don't allow fear to stop you. People of faith, not people of fear. So what is your kingdom therefore? Now let's move on. I love in verse 9 how we read this. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I love that. I'm just imagining Daniel in this moment. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's exactly what is happening here. He's in the context of those who are his enemies, who are opposed to God. And what do we find? God gives favor and compassion to Daniel's enemy. He, Ashpenaz responds to Daniel in this moment because God grants him favor. Will God not do the same for you? Will he not do the same for us? Yes, he will. He is a God of abundance. He's a God of favor. And then we find, let's move on. Those are our kingdom, therefore. The, the food that Daniel asked for, Daniel's kingdom food. So we hear this in verse 12. Test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Let us be given vegetables to eat. James Jordan, in his magnificent commentary on this book, he says, actually, what Daniel asks for in this moment is food derived from seeds. Hello? Seeds. That sounds significant, doesn't it? Seeds. What? Why is he asking for food derived from seeds? What's the significance of that? Guy brilliantly last night was laying before us the garden, and we have the tragedy in Genesis 3 as Adam and Eve are indoctrinated and enticed by Satan who comes and undermines the word of God. Did God really say you're not to eat from any tree in the garden? No. He didn't say that. He said the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shouldn't eat from. So he's distorting the word of God, which he loves to do. And then he says, you will surely not die. That's a lie. But they, their head goes. They believe the lie. They're indoctrinated. They're enticed to take the fruit. They eat. Now, Daniel has already, if you like, gone past Genesis 3. He's already refused to eat foods which are forbidden. He's already made that decision. I'm going to guard my heart at all costs. My king is too precious to me. I'm not going to fudge on that one. 
Now, with that in mind, let's read from Genesis 1, and let's just read a few verses together. Genesis 1, verse 11. Listen to this. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in it, its fruit, you shall have them for food. God loves seed, doesn't he? And we find over again this metaphor, this small thing that can produce an abundance. And we find here in Genesis 1, the food of Eden before deception came was plants and fruits bearing seed. Now, we've already established that the particular food wasn't the issue. We actually read in Daniel chapter 10 that Daniel does start to eat Babylonian food. But in this particular moment, as Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon is intentionally trying to undermine Daniel's faith. He knows I must not allow myself to be fed by Babylon. I've got to be fed by my king. I'm going to be fed by my God. And I'm going to have the food which they had before the evil one got in and undermined everything that God was doing. I'm going to go back and I'm going to have Genesis 1 food. I'm going to eat seeds. And there was a sense in which Daniel himself, of course, is a seed sown into Babylon. As we were hearing from Dave Devonish yesterday, sown into the world in order to begin to reach it. What I see Daniel asking for here is I see him asking for the word of God. I need to allow my God to feed me. Not only is my God on the throne, my God is at the head of my table. My God occupies that seat. My God feeds me. I'm going to feed on his every word. Jesus said it in the parable of the soils when he was speaking about the seed. He made it so clear to his disciples who were so often just clueless about the parables. He said to them, guys, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And as it's sown into your heart and as it falls into good soil, watch how it produces a great harvest. Daniel is crying out for the word of God in this moment. He is rejecting royal food. He's asking for the food of the kingdom. He's asking for seeds. He's asking for God's word. Men and women of Babylon are led by the flesh, but the men and women of God are led by the Spirit. That's Daniel. That is us by the grace of God. We will be fed by him. Now, Jesus, he, he modeled it himself in the wilderness. You think of him as he was led out into the wilderness to pray and to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. The tempter comes up to him and he says, watch it, tactics again, indoctrination. If you are the son of God, turn this rock into a loaf of bread. And what does Jesus do? Quotes Deuteronomy chapter eight, and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm not just going to allow my flesh to dictate here. I'm going to be driven by the very word of God. Jesus taught it. Guy referenced it early on. One of his most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. Do you know what happened to that crowd afterwards? The next day, where's Jesus gone? Where is he? What do they do? They find him. They seek him out. Jesus sees this crowd gathering before him. And what does he say to them? He says, you're not seeking me because you saw signs. You're seeking me because you had your fill of the loaves. In other words, he's saying, you're here because you want another free dinner. He's like, don't you realize that it was a sign? Don't you realize that this food was given to you as a sign to point you to something even more spectacular and something even more wonderful? Why are you hungering after food that perishes when I've got food that gives you eternal life? And then, of course, he famously says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Kingdom food given to us by our great God, Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. We must be those who are fed by his hand. Who's the head of your table? Do you hunger after the word of God? Do you long for the word of God? Is your king feeding you? Is your king feeding your family, your children? Are they hearing the word of God as you sit around the table? Do your, do your kids have the phrase, dad's Bible, mum's Bible? Do your friends see you as someone who obsesses over the word of God? We obsess over it because he's our great obsession. He's our great passion. Look, this, we can idolize this book. We must not idolize this book. It's a sign to lead us to our God. Kingdom food. Now, if your diet is seed, you will produce fruit. Daniel's kingdom fruit. Now, look at this. Look at verses 12 to 15 with me and just see what he says. So Ashpenaz is like, you can't do this because you'll suffer. This is what Babylon does. You've got to be like us and live like us. We've got the good life. And if you make this decision, it's, gonna go, it's not going to be right for you. Have you ever heard someone say that to you? Come on, have fun. Indulge yourself. This is, Ashpenaz is like, it's not going to go well for you. Daniel says this, test us. Verse 13, look at our appearance, the appearance of the youths. And then he says, deal with us according to what you see. Um, and they tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Do you know what he's doing here? He's saying, listen, if you don't believe my words, if you don't believe my gospel, would you believe the evidence that your eyes get to see? Do you remember Jesus said that? He said, if you don't believe my words, well, believe the works. Look at the miracles. Look at the evidence. Would you believe those? 
Friends, as we are obedient to our king, it manifests to the world around us how wonderful he is. And kingdom people evidence the reality of the presence of the king in their hearts. We should expect evidence. We should expect to see it. We should expect fruit. There should be unmissable fruit in our lives. Let me just tell you my, a personal story of this. Because I don't have a proper job. <laughs> I made a decision. I'm just going to be the best neighbor I can be. I'm going to love my neighbor, as Jesus said to do. So I'm like your worst nightmare to live next door to. I'm like always looking for a chance to have a chat. I want to get to know you. I want to know what your blood group is, what your shoe size is. I'm just, I'm, I'm on your case. I'm a nightmare. So I make a decision. I'm going to get to know my neighbors as well as I can. When we moved to Portsmouth, that's what we did. I got into conversations with neighbors in the street. Um, and there was this couple called Sally and Dave who lived opposite us. And uh, we started talking to them. They had this huge Doberman, which I, you know, I'd let the kids go and ride on every now and then. And before long, a friendship was formed with them. As my wife had our second son, Sally came around with this beautiful pink and blue knitted cardigan that she'd done for him. Her heart was in the right place, but he didn't wear it. They, the, the day after, it, I mean, it was like the color of this wristband. The day after, I went round with a thank you card. Sally opened the door, and she's in floods of tears. So's Dave behind her. Oh, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, what's up? She said, I've just been told that the lump in my eye is cancerous. So pause, I suddenly have, like, everything goes into slow motion. Okay, Tim, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Do you believe I can heal this cancer? Yes, Lord, of course I believe you can heal this cancer. Well, are you going to pray for them? But what if you don't heal this cancer? <laughs> I'm forming a good friendship with these guys at the moment. I don't want to risk that. So you saying to me, Tim, that your friendship with them is more important than my friendship with them. That's a good point. Okay, play. I believe in a God who can heal cancer. Can I pray for you? They give each other a concerned look. Okay. Okay. So I pray, God, I thank you. You're the true king, Lord Jesus. You have the power to heal this cancer. Would you heal her in Jesus' name? Two weeks later, I get another knock on my door, and it's Sally, and she's in tears again. She says to me, the lump in my eye is gone. I've just been told the cancer has gone. Is that amazing? The next thing she says is, it's because you prayed. And I said, I told you Jesus could do it. <laughs> I knew all along. <laughs> we then moved further into the city, and uh, I was keen to keep in touch with them. Um, so I rang to see how they were doing, and Sally answered the phone. And uh, she said, oh, Tim, it's great to hear from you. We had a conversation. Over the phone, she said, Tim, I have come to believe that Jesus is God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 
A month later, I get a call from my husband, Dave. And Dave says to me, Tim, I'm sorry to tell you uh, that Sally had a sudden heart attack and died at the weekend. A month later, would you do her funeral? I then find myself in two weeks' time after that phone call, sharing the story of Sally's faith in front of 200 people, sharing the gospel in front of 200 people, never really been to church before. Most of the street was there for it. The miracle was a sign which led her to see who sits on the throne, and she is now with him in glory, enjoying his presence. But let us be aware of what is a sign of the kingdom and who is the king of the kingdom. And let us know that the signs are always given that we might be led to the king himself who sits on the throne. I, I share that story with you because I do not consider myself to be a great evangelist. I find it difficult. But I knew God had just asked me to love my neighbors. And God's asking you to love your neighbor. And he's asking you to love those you work with and those that you study with. He's not pulling a higher expectation on you than that. If he's enthroned in your heart, the overflow of that is that you will love those in the world around you. That's obedience. And the obedience of faith manifests to the world who is the king of your heart. Daniel did this. And it was evident that he had something the others didn't. We see this transformation occur. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is many decades of faithful service in Babylon. God raised him up for great influence. He even saw Nebuchadnezzar bow the knee and worship his God. And of course, Daniel's life as well is but a sign. For his life speaks of the greatest life. Jesus was sent by the Father into an alien world, a hostile world, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He came into this world and he was tempted in every way to eat from the hand of Satan, yet he didn't touch a morsel. He lived a pure and perfect and obedient life. And he was put on a shameful cross he chose as a crown thorns. He chose as a throne a shameful, scandalous cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is God. And I want to finish by quoting Daniel himself from Daniel chapter 7. This is what he says. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That's everyone. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Amen? Amen. Of the increase of his government and rule, there will be no end. This is an impressive kind of chair. It points to something so glorious. What a throne it is that he sits on. And the great news for us is, as we read in Hebrews, it's a throne of grace that we might come to it in a time of need and find help. What is it that you need from the throne of grace? Know that he is for you in every possible way. Let's close our eyes and I wanna lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we say you are the true king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you, you've won our hearts. You're enthroned in our hearts. And Lord, we want to be an obedient people as you are obedient. And we want to be, our lives, to be like signs that lead others to you. Lord Jesus, our longing is that you would be enthroned in our world. Our longing would be, as you've sent us out into Babylon, into all different places, that our lives would bear witness to the true king and that we would see many hundreds and thousands of transformed lives as a consequence. Our confidence lies not in our own powers, but in who you are and the power of this glorious gospel. To you belongs all glory and honor and praise forevermore. Amen. Show our appreciation, shall we? What a magnificent word.